We just thank you for this day and this evening. We ask that you guide and lead us as we open the word and that you will teach us what you'd have us to learn from this time. And we just thank you for your word in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 64, verse 1. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword, who bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil matter and commune of laying snares privily. They say, who shall see us? They search out iniquity. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. And all the upright in the heart and heart shall glory. So we're going to look at this psalm. It's quite been a long, kind of long one we've been just talking about. So <laughs> kind of an interesting psalm to be talking, going into. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Again, David has, opens a lot of his psalms. Hear my voice. Hear my prayer. And this is part of what the Jews in general did not really understand that God wanted to hear them. Okay? And we talked a little bit about their idea was he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the, the God of Moses. He's, you know, there was not a personal relationship. And David had as close to a personal relationship as anybody in the Jewish religion has had and even he has this idea of God I'm pleading with you hear me it's so nice that we've got the completion of the New Testament that we know God wants to hear from us he wants to be our friend he says come into his chambers you know we're invited to come into his presence and pray and we know that he wants to hear us now it doesn't mean that he's going to always say yes matter of fact God quite often says no for sometimes very good reasons that become obvious to us. Sometimes we may never understand why he says no. It's kind of hard sometimes when he says no when you're dealing with the, the life of a, a family member who you really love and is doing good, good work for God and, and they're still fairly young and you're going, God, how can, how can it be for you good for them to die? And God just says, I've called them home. I've called them home. And this is sometimes hard for us to see when somebody good dies, you know, somebody who's doing great work, you know, and this can be very difficult. We see pastors sometimes, you know, very young, fairly young in their 50s or 60s, and all of a sudden they're called home. And you look at them, God, they had a good ministry. People were learning. Why, why was this good? And God doesn't give us a reason for it. Praise Chapel. Praise Chapel is a good, good, good example with uh, Pastor Pennington. Everything going strong in the church, or at least from what it looked like, and God took him home at a fairly young age. We look at it and say, God, how? Why? And he goes, it's not for you to know. Yeah. It's not for you to know. 
David is saying, hear my voice. In my prayer, preserve my life from not the enemy, fear of the enemy. How many times do we fear something? I fear all the time. And many of us, many do. They have great fears. And that is something that happens. We need to be careful because God's in control. And if we spend all of our time worrying and in fear, we're not spending our time in living today. And this is very important for us because every time we're afraid of something, we're always afraid of something that might happen in the future that we have no control over, really. And we don't live in the moment that we're living in. It probably won't happen anyway. And most likely doesn't happen. You know what tells me? She says, what difference does it make? You've got the money to fix it. And that's the flip side. Usually, God will give us the grace to get through whatever it is we have to get through when we have to get through it. And worrying about it is not going to make a difference. I waste so much time worrying that my house is falling apart. You got a new house. I got an old house. Is your house falling apart? If it is, I'm letting it fall apart. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I think an old house, but I try to do the repairs myself. I found whiskey bottles under 1912. <laughs> I love the whole house. Sell <laughs> them. But, but the key on this, it, when I've studied... I, I've gone to various evangelism classes, and, and it's so weird what, what excuses people will give for not, not evangelizing. What if they ask this? What if they ask that? And some of the times you listen to these questions about what they're worried about being asked, and I've shared the gospel with a lot of people over my lifetime. I'm going, never. <laughs> that question is not going to be, even be asked. Quit worrying about it. And then, as I've said so many times, even if it is asked, it's a great opportunity to come back. You know, if you don't know the answer, it's a great opportunity to make a second appointment to, to give the gospel. But this is the key. God is in control. For us to be fearful of people, things, is wasting our current, well, our life and our present. Late. But this is saying, guard me, preserve me from the fear of my enemy. And this is where it is really a place for us to learn God is in control. As long as I truly understand and know God is in control, you know, what do I really have to fear if God is in control and he's going to give me the grace and the strength to get through whatever it might be? You know, and I've said many times, I think that I have the strength to be able to give my life for God. Do I know that I do? No, I won't know until I'm facing the death, the potential death. And then... It's only going to be because of the grace of God that I'm going to be able to say, just send me home. Yeah, that is a fear, because that's one thing I do fear. God says, I just pray that I will do, I will stick up for him and I'll do, I'll do anything. But God gives us the grace when we need it. Need it. One of the greatest examples of this is this, uh, came from uh, Corey Tenboom in The Hiding Place, and she was talking to her dad, and he goes, Dad, you know, I'm so worried that, about things. And he goes, well, he goes, God will give you the grace. But what if he doesn't? He goes, well, when we go on the train, when do I give you your ticket for the train? Just before I get on. God will give you the ticket for the train just before you need, you need to get on. And it's the same thing. God is right there. If all we do is put our faith in him, whatever happens, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because if I'm worried... Most of the time, what we worry about and are afraid of never happens anyway. 
Okay, so we've wasted a lot of energy on something that was a waste of time. But God will give us the grace. He will give us the ability to get through. He'll give us the funds to get through. He'll give us, you know, the people in our life to, to get something fixed if we don't know how to fix it. Uh, he does what needs to be done at the time that it needs to be done. And I can tell you, God's not worried about it. <laughs> you know, he just says, okay, then you need a little extra, extra faith. Here you go. You need a little extra strength. Here you go. Oh, I need to put something in there to fix this for you. You know, and the door opens and there they are. They're, they're, they're in the right place. So I had a customer that came to my life because I was so afraid of these bees that a beehive across the street. Yeah. And that's when I told you when he was a, what do you call it, a terminator, a bug exterminator, exterminator. exterminator from Vegas. And so he told me how to do it. Yeah. Out of the blue, you know, you never would think I would have to do I mean, I have customers, but I would like just to. learned was that you can worship fear. And that could become your idol if you worship fear all the time. And a lot of people worship fear. You know, many people are worshiping their... They're, they're so worried about everything that they're, they're putting. And fear really is a sin. I'm not saying little fear. If somebody's coming at you, there's a fear that, that yeah. motivates you to move. But if you're fearing everything in the future, you are creating an idol out of it because you're putting the, what may happen above the God who is in control of what happens. And really, it's important because the scriptures tell us over and over and over, fear not. Fear not. Is it okay? Because I think I'm doing it and how I believe it is. I'm trusting in God so much that, to be honest, I'm not really that fearful just that thing today, but usually not because I know God will protect me. And I'm not going to do anything stupid with that one. Yeah. If, it, if you're doing something dumb then yeah, no, because you're not stupid, a fear, yeah. then that's... But, but but no, you shouldn't. I truly believe that you shouldn't be fearful of anything but God. Fear the Lord. That's the only yeah. positive fear that's ever in the Scripture is to fear the yeah, Lord. That you're doing the wrong thing for Him. Uh, it, it, that you're you know just being that I want to treat you know reverence Him. I want to honor Him. I want to do what He wants me to do. But if because God really wants us to live in the moment we're in. Okay, and I've said this over and over, and it's really important. Many people live in the past. They can't forgive themselves for what they have done and the mistakes they have made, and they're living in the past, and they, have, they can't change the past. No matter what you do, you can't change the past. The other extreme is to be worried about the future and things you, the things that aren't even here anyway, and you can't do anything about the future. Uh, you know, and I've said over and over, you know, just that when we get ready to leave here in the evening or after, after my day or here, I plan to go to Kingman. There's probably a 99% chance that I'm going to make it to my house. So. <laughs> but there is no guarantee that I'm going to make it to my house. God can, we can have the rapture. We yeah. could have an accident. We could have a storm wash out the, the highway. You know, any number of things can happen. Now, should I be worried about all of these thousands of things that might happen? Absolutely not. I'd go nuts. And I wouldn't be able to serve God in the moment that I'm serving him in if I'm worrying about the future or even living in the past mistakes. How long did uh, Paul live in Rome before he was executed? A couple of years, anyway. Some years. I don't know. I don't remember uh, how many. He went there to be executed. Mm -hmm. Was there that long? 
knowing at any time his head was coming off. And yet wrote all kinds of letters. And wrote all kinds of I thought that was John. Paul, uh, Paul was sent to Rome to die. Yeah, but John had was beheaded. John, John died of old age. Oh, 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 John yeah. the Baptist John the, died. Yeah, John the, John yeah. the Baptist died yeah. of beheading, yeah. yes. Yeah, beheaded, I thought. number of people were beheaded. I mean, it, that was the easy way to die, was to lose your head. Yeah. Uh, so. People will ask me, aren't you afraid to stay with yourself? I said, what? Well, that's what people ask me that, too. People uh, ask me that too. Well, yeah, my sister, yeah. my oldest sister, when she was here at Christmas, she was actually afraid. You know how big my house is. In the living room to be in the living room by herself and me in the kitchen. But, I don't even think of that. But you see, this is, know. and we've talked about this many times. We as Christians have a whole different way of thinking because our trust is in God. And the world says that, especially for you that are, are, are women, you should be afraid to live alone because that's what the world is. The world's yeah. a dangerous place and there's no protection. But as Christians, we say, I've got God. Now, that doesn't mean leave your doors wide yeah. open and advertise to everybody yeah. you're, you're, you're alone. But, but this is where the life of living in Christ gives us the ability to love it gives us the ability to to live in the moment of now and not be worried about all the things that might happen because as i've said you know so somebody comes in the worst they can do is is hurt or kill, you or kill me so what well, killing killing you is a great thing it's yeah. at your home but david's saying you know i want to be delivered of the fear of my enemy because fear will stop us in our tracks. If we're afraid to do something, we won't go forward. We will be frozen where we're at because we're so worried about somebody or something doing. And David had enemies, okay? David had formidable enemies at times. You know, he had, yeah, he had other nations that wanted to get he, He's got sons that rise up against him. He's got, he's got all these, he's got Saul's relatives that keep wanting to come against him. Uh, you know, he goes into battle. You know, he's got real enemies to be worried about. And he's saying, God, deliver me of the fear of these enemies. Don't make me, don't allow me to be afraid. Don't allow me to be fearful. <laughs> and a son. Oh yeah. Well, the son wanted what he had, and so, the wife wanted him to just be dead. I guess I don't know what she wanted. You know, years ago yeah. when we read this, you know, it, it sounds so horrible. You couldn't understand how this could happen. It, it seems but easier now. now. It, it seems it's, easier now because it's your. Well, we're growing now, which puts us in a different place. The world is getting worse. So That's this is where, as the world gets worse, we have to depend more on God. Because at any moment, any one of us as a Christian, with the way the world's going, it could be against the law to be a Christian and hold Christian views real easily. Okay? And meaning that we could go to prison and, and, and or be, be attacked. Uh, you know, we live in a world that if you speak against what the world believes, you know, you may you may end up having your house attacked, you know, bombed, whatever. I was listening to uh, Martin Luther King's uh, cousin earlier today, uh, cousin niece, niece, uh, and she was talking about how when they were doing all these marches and everything, that their houses were bombed and 
And I'm thinking, these things can happen to us as Christians. As we make stands on, on God's rules and God's laws against homosexuality and adultery, fornication, we, we say this is what God says, we may end up being in a place where we or our families may be attacked. Are we going to worry about everything or are we just going to say, God, it's in your hands? And it's critical for us to be able to say, God, it's in your hands. Is it easy? Nothing is easy at first. Nothing that we do spiritually is easy at first. The more we do it, the easier, I think the it, easier it gets. The more I love people, the easier it gets to show love to others that are unlovable. That's what I said earlier today. I said the, the more nice we're, the, the easier it gets. Yeah. The, more, the more I love people, yeah, the easier it gets. The more, the more I trust in God, the easier it gets. The more I get in, you know, everything that That's we do, the more, the more we do it, the more we walk in that spiritual gift, the easier that spiritual gift gets to be to walk in or spiritual trait. Let's put trait rather than gift in this case. But it becomes easier but and it's easier. So cool, it's so easy, like you say, everybody could be doing this. And they don't realize how beautiful, wonderful, and safe this is. But think how long it okay. took most of us to get to that point. Easy. Yeah, I think that's true. See, we got to be careful. So far in such a short time. But see, everybody don't do that. You have learned so much And it's very important that we be very careful and say, I've learned this, why haven't you learned this? Because number one, you've been put in a place where, where we're being taught. You're being put in a place where you're growing. We're being put in a time where God is moving in his church in a mighty way. And we need to be so careful that, and give people the room to grow at the rate that God wants them to, to grow in and encourage them. You know, and this is why I say no matter what it is, once you're there, it seems like it was easy, and you forget how hard it was to get there in the first place sometimes. I think it's so much better than in school. I struggle all my life. This here is not like struggling. I love it, and I can't wait to open my book for that school. Yeah. yeah. I met a guy the other day. I asked him how old he was. He's 103. Wow. His first love just passed away at 99. <laughs> and she fell in love with someone else. They, so they split up over that many, many, mm. 60 years, 70 years ago. All right, verse 2. Hide me from the secret counsels of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. This is, this is him going through God. There's people who are making plans to kill me. Now, most of us do not have people making plans to destroy us. Okay, and if we do, then we then hopefully we're hidden from it, just as David was making the prayer of. Hide me, more. conceal me from this. Uh, most of us do not have people looking to kill us. Uh, now, this can be different. Those who teach can get somebody wanting to kill them or hurt them fairly quickly, because all you've got to do is say something somebody doesn't like, and you know if you say it to the wrong person, you could be. Am I going to be afraid of all that? No, because I'm in God's hands. And if God wants me to go home, I'm going to go home. And if he doesn't, I'm not going home. And David's saying, hide me. Hide me from their secret counsels and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. And insurrection is an interesting word here. Insurrection is a noisy throng looking for trouble. Okay? A mob. A mob, a mob looking for trouble, a noisy group. 
Uh, what happened in Ferguson was a group of insurrectionists looking for, now insurrection, usually we think of somebody against the government, but this word in this case is any group of people that are looking to cause trouble. Mine noisy crowd of evildoers. No, noisy crowd of evildoers. Uh, now, granted, we're here, in chloride, we probably aren't going to have too many noisy throngs of people looking for trouble, but there's always individuals looking for trouble. Uh, We had the Baltimore incident here recently. We're having all kinds of insurrections because we're in the end times. People aren't getting what they want and they get a perceived evil and they attack it. And there's all kinds of places where a pastor has spoken the truth and had people banging down their doors in, in different places. You know, uh, in the eight, 80s and the 90s when pastors would in, in uh, San Francisco would speak out against homosexuality, many of them would have homosexual groups outside their church, you know, banging on the doors during the services and trying to bang the door, knock the doors down and everything because they're, they dared to speak the truth. These are things that may happen to us as the world gets darker. These things may be happening to us as we go along. Because, but are we to fear it? No. no. God is in control. If he wants it, if he's going to allow it to happen, then we'll love them. We'll, we'll show them the truth and see where God leads it. And I always say there's a reason for everything. That's what my mother always says. I yep. always say that all the time. That, God gives you, doesn't ever give you more than he can handle. That's that's the uh, First Corinthians ten thirteen that he will provide of a way of escape mm-hmm. if for for anything that goes. Now that that way of escape is to turn to him though. Yeah. Okay. If we don't turn to him, then everything that we have is bad enough to destroy us because he's saying that it will only be through him that we are protected. Uh, and as long as we're trusting in him, we can go through anything because he's given us the strength. He's the one that develops it. And he says, you know, David's saying, hide me from them. Hide me from those that are secretly going at me and from the noisy mobs. And uh, verse three, who, talking about this noisy mob, who wet their tongues like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. Usually the worst that's gonna happen to most of us is this sentence. They wet their tongues. They're sharpening their tongues as a sword. Uh, if you, the word wet means to take a stone and sharpen your, sharpen your sword, your, your knife, your blade. And they shoot, arrows, they shoot arrows of bitter words. It's amazing to me. Number one, we all know that words hurt. You know, words can hurt. They can hurt us at, a, at the level of the soul. That's why God is very critical about negative words and lies and hurtful words because they... They don't just hurt the flesh. They hurt all the way down into the soul. And people have been hurt by words that they remember decades after they happened. You know, people have, have words that were spoken to them as a child that they still remember. You know, parents who told them they were worthless or you're no good or, or you should never have been born. You were the child I never wanted or whatever it might be that they say to peop- say to these children. And it's so sad that they parents will say this kind of stuff to kids you know just as bad as when they're adults but things hurt and God and David saying God there are people out there they're sharpening their tongues and we all have probably met at least one or two people in our life that have very sharp tongues yes I was on one's carport today (laughs) 
You know, I, my dad was one of those that I would have rather have had a spanking at any time from him than have him say things because he, he was able to go up one side of somebody, down the other side, never touch the person and make them feel about two inches yeah. tall and totally worthless. Okay, and he was good at it. And that's not a good skill. You know, that is not something you want to develop. Uh, being able to discipline is one thing. Being able to correct is one thing. Being able to love is one thing. But being able to tear somebody apart verbally is not a great skill. My mom says whenever we said anything dirty, she says, okay, I've got to, got to take a bar, bar of soap to wash your mouth out. Yeah, I remember those days. But bitter words being cast at us. Words can hurt. And this is where and this is where we want to put our trust into God. And this is why we, we taught the whole series on who we are in Christ, you know, fifty one weeks, who we are in Christ. Because we need to understand who we are. That little saying that I've had up the, the last couple couple weeks, Satan knows our name but calls us by our sin. God knows our sin but calls us by our name. Satan is trying to destroy us by calling us who we are. Well, you're a thief. You're a liar. You're a you're an adulterer. You're 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 worthless. You don't even count. And God's saying, I've forgiven it all. You're my child, and He gives you your name. Very important. Because Satan is going to keep attacking and keep attacking to try to make us feel like we're worthless, to make us feel like we're not valuable to God. And it's so easy to get there. It's so easy for people to not forgive themselves. And I don't understand. I don't personally don't understand. It's not an area that I've had problems in my life. I learned forgiveness a long time ago. But the idea of not forgiving yourself, God can forgive you. God has forgiven you. You've got to be able to forgive yourself because God does. And for me not to forgive myself is to say, God, I'm slapping you upside the head because you can forgive me and I can't. And to me, it's critical. It's critical because it's past. It's gone. It's under the blood. And it's something we've got to be able to understand. But again, it's understanding things from a scriptural point of view. And we've been trained to keep it in mind, keep it in mind. The world says, you cannot forget it. You are what you've done. And we've talked about this. You know, the, the, the sentence that we as Christians use, we hate the sin, but love the sinner. Yeah. We as Christians can separate the two because we know that, they're, yes, they're all sinner, but we're going to love you. You're not who you, you're not defined by what you do. The world cannot understand, the world does not understand that statement. When we say that as Christians, they look at us as if we're absolutely nuts because they cannot separate the person from what they do. I know because this person asked me, don't you like us anymore? I said, you know what, I love everybody. I said, I love everybody, I just don't like what some people do. That's all I said. But the world does not separate individuals from what they do. Yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you steal, you are a thief. There's just no two ways about it. You are a thief, and you probably can't change it because you are a thief. You know, and that's what they try to say about homosexuality and all these things, that you are what you are. You were born that way. And as Satan tries to get more and more sins defined as, as diseases and as normal, 
then he gets away with this whole idea that they are what they are and can't change. God comes in and he, he crucifies the flesh and he gives us a new creation and we are something totally different. In God's eyes, we are no longer sinners. We are a new creature created to be perfect. Now we know that we're not, <laughs> but we need to start understanding that we are. Okay, God has declared that we are, that we are perfect. In the courts of heaven, we are perfect. Why? Because God said so. Because, because he said so. And the closest thing we have for an example would be bankruptcy court. You go in owing money to people. You come out, even though you still truly, technically owe money to those people still, the government has said you no longer owe them and they can't collect it. It's the same thing that God and the court of heaven has done. Jesus paid it. You are perfect. And then he closes in a righteousness of Christ. And as far as he's concerned, we're perfect. Now we know we've got to grow into it. But do you understand how, easy, how much easier it becomes when I start realizing that in God's eyes I'm perfect? I don't live in, in wallowing around in all that I've done wrong. I say it's forgiven. God help me do better in the future. And it goes back to what we said. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Father, I say just please don't let me do it again. The more I learn to forgive people, the easier it gets. The more I learn to love people, the easier it gets. The more I learn to stay away from sins, the easier it gets. The closer I get to God and the more he fills me, the easier it gets. The more he chips away at my heart of rock to say, this is not belonging here, the easier it gets. Uh, I have trouble with that sometimes. Loving is easy for me. But there are times that I don't love someone. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask the Lord, love, let me love them with your love until I can learn to love them with my love. Yep. Okay. Say that again. Let me love them with your love until I can learn to love them with my love. Well, we're talking about the second there. But actually, it's still, hopefully, you, the, the real thing on that, help me lo love them with your love and teach me to your love. That's, yeah. Because my love, my love doesn't mean anything. And I've shared this, you know, the world does not know how to love. Okay, the world does not know how to love. At best, the world has a deep infatuation that might last for a while. They've learned enough that if they wait long enough, the, the cycles of infatuation will come around and, and, and renew themselves. But love, God's love, unconditional love is objective. It's a choice. You know, and the world does not understand this. The world does not understand that love is a choice. And, and it's a really non-romantic thing when you're, talking, when you're counseling somebody and getting ready to get married and you tell them that love is a choice. You know, well, no, I fell in love. No, you fell into infatuation. You fell into lust. And that, that was your first attraction, but that's not going to give you a 40, 50, 60 year marriage. You know, lust and, lust and infatuation is not going to keep you during the hard times when that person is sick. When that person is in a bad mood and doesn't seem to love you uh, and seems to can't stand you and you're, and, you're, and, you're, and you're trying to be in love with them, you know, if it's not a choice, it doesn't work. And God's love is choice. That's what unconditional love is. That's what agape love is. It's a choice. It's, it's a it's 
objective chosen love. It's not a subjective love. What am I getting out of the deal? And you know, as long as it's what am I getting out of the deal, you're never going to love anybody forever. You might be able to work up some emotion toward them as long as they're doing good things to you. But as soon as they do something bad, it's going to, well, I'm not getting anything out of this deal. It's over. And that's what subjective love is all about. As soon as I don't get something from the deal, <laughs> goodbye, gone, it's, you know, we're, we're done. Objective love holds you through all of that. Why do I love this person? Because I chose to love them. And until I choose not to love them, I'm going to love them. So my situation that you know about is my choice, by my choice. If it's true love. You're still, in, you're still in some of the infatuation and desire state parts of it. You want it, but it's not necessarily what God, and you might have decided that you want to. You know, I wanted to go to work. Yeah. How do I get that? You know, God could possibly make this situation the way it is because he's already fixed it and it keeps me free to do the other things that he and I want to do. Could be. Being God. Could be. All right. Now, if you're looking for, uh, out of everybody, I'm looking for a better. All right, verse 4 that they may shoot in secret at the perfect, suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. This happens all the time. People attack you from secret places, behind your back, gossip. And this was happening even in town recently when somebody was talking about me behind my back. I didn't care, you know, because I've learned to be trusting God, letting God be my defense. But it happens. People will attack you. And it's not always to your face. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to ruin your reputation behind your back. But you know, the more we trust in God, the easier that gets. The easier it gets. Now, the one that was attacking me that I know of actually called me over to forgive, you know, to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going, it's not my, you know, I'm not a, you know, not a problem. You're forgiven because it didn't mean anything to me in the first place. Why? Because I know it's going to happen. <laughs> I know that. Satan is going to try to tear down the reputation of the righteous. And they think the ones tearing you down think that they're getting away with it, think that there's no consequence for it, and yet there's going to be a consequence. God will deliver the righteous. He will. If we will just keep our mouths shut, we don't try to defend ourselves, God will defend. He will protect. And when he protects, the people are in trouble. And really bad if they're attacking people in authority. Teachers, government, whatever. There's a whole nother level of attacking those type of people. David, David would not attack Saul. He kept Saul and said, I will not touch God's anointed. anointed. And so... We want to be careful. We don't want to fear those that are attacking us in secret because, again, what does it matter? You know, what does it matter if they're attacking us? Our family attacks us. Our neighbors attack us. We pray for them. We love them. But that's so hard to do. It takes a lot of practice. Another one of those plagues. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Could I have done that 10 years ago and ignored anybody attacking me? Probably not. 
okay, maybe 20 years ago, because I've been, I've been a long time learning to just ignore people that are attacking me because of my positions. But, you know, let's say 30 years ago when I first started running businesses, you know, if I had cared, you know, if I hadn't run those businesses, learn not to care what they think about me, you know. But you're right, it's not easy to start with. But again, every spiritual discipline that we get into gets easier the more we do it. And again, I'm not going to tell everybody, this is really easy. It's easy for me because of all that God has trained me to do, it's easy for me. I have plenty of areas that are not easy that you might say if I was to tell you what they were, well, gee, pastor has trouble with that area. You know, it's, it's really simple. You know, each one of us have this ability where, where we have been taught, where we have been practiced, and we get experience in, it becomes easy. For me, loving people has been a long time to learn how to do because I really did not even like people for many years. Okay? I would be happy just to stay at home and not, do, not deal with people. God has had to teach me to love people. And it took him about 30 years to teach me to love people. Now it's much easier than it used to be. Okay? Sometimes it takes a long time to learn something. Sometimes you learn real quick and it's like, wow, watch this person just growing in leaps and bounds. Other times we, we learn really slow. And I've long time given up trying to figure God out on that because you watch people get saved and overnight half their life changes. Mm -hmm. And you say, God, why have I had to learn things the hard way and been beat over the head by a two by four all the time to learn these things? And part of this is because I'm so hard headed and stubborn. <laughs> but <laughs> I think what really helps me, like what you said, is that what I do is I pray so much just to have God help me to learn his word and I want to understand it and I really do. And like coming to these classes and stuff, you know, I want to learn, and otherwise by myself, it's hard to learn yes. by yourself. And that's why I say coming to church, coming to Bible studies isn't the end all to get spiritual, but it's very hard to not come to Bible studies, not come to church and grow. Because you, it's all dependent on how well do I understand what I'm reading with the Holy Spirit's help, how much am I going to grow and how much am I going to encourage myself? And there's a lot of eyes in there if you listen to it. And anytime you start putting I in your sentence, you're in trouble. You're in trouble anytime the I word is in your sentence. You know, look what I have done. Look what I'm accomplishing. Look what I want to do. You know, that was Satan's downfall. Well, my I is I want to learn. I That's a good I. I want, God to, I want God to change me. Yeah. I want God to help me live as well today. And That's and great. And I pray that every morning. Mm. And this is where we get our victories. When we start depending on God, the more we depend on God, the more victories we're going to have. The more we let him crucify our flesh, the more we're going to be victorious. The more that I know that it's him killing my flesh and living in the spirit, the more victory we have. It's not me trying in Galatians 2.20 and even Galatians 6, uh, 18, uh, 17 that we were just reading this morning that I had never really noticed. You know, I've been crucified against to the world, and, I, and the world's been crucified to me. It's very powerful when you think about it. Everything is about me being crucified, me dying, and Christ living through me. And the more I allow him to do that, the more victorious I will be in the walk of God. And it's so important because it is all God. Everything is about God. It's him doing the work in our life. And when he's working in our life, what a difference things happen. 
and yes. and we just learn to walk. And I've said, you know, I've known the verse of Galatians 2.20. I memorized it when I was like 14 or 15 years old. But it's only been in the last four or five years that that verse has really started to kick in and say, it's everything. That verse is everything about living a spiritual life. I am crucified, Christ lives. And the more, like you say, the more you say, the more I understand it. Before mm -hmm. I could read it, I never understood it. But now I, oh, that Galatians 2 Galatians 2.20. All right, verse five. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They commune of laying snares privily. Who shall see us? This is the evil that are attacking. You know, it says they search, they, they encourage each other. You know, they listen to each other's conversations. They listen to, they, they try to top each other's bad news and, and, and mm -hmm. stories. You know, gossip never stays, stays still. It always gets increased with the telling. You know, and this is, even, even when you start getting dealing with and this is what gets scary. Every time a story is told, whether it's true or false, people tend to add to it. They tend to add to it to make it sound more exciting, or 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 make or or even leave something off that made you know to, to change why it happened. This is why it's critical that we be careful that when we tell somebody something, it is the truth. We haven't embellished it. We haven't, you know. One of the things I used to watch when people would tell tell their part of a story is how they would twist their part just a little bit so that it didn't look like they were at fault at all. Didn't quite lie, <laughs> didn't quite lie, but they didn't tell you that they, they said, oh yeah, try it, you know, or and they would leave that part out, you know, you know, and, but encouragement to do wrong and lay in the traps. You know, when I tell you something, and you've heard me telling them stuff over and over and over that you know I change it because, shoot, I can't remember this morning. But I try always to say that's the way it happened according to me. These are my words. This is not probably exactly the way it was. And when you're taught to troubleshoot between two people or be, in a, be, a, be a, the administrator between them, you're basically taught this statement. Uh, when two people to get together, there's three truths. <laughs> Each of their individual truths, and, and usually they believe that what they're saying is true, and what really happened, somewhere between somewhere between what they're telling you. And it's not that they're out not not that they're out there lying to you on purpose. It's just that they've rehearsed it in their mind. They've left out what their parts of the bad and and and, and amplified the other person's problems. And it's not necessarily that they're lying. Now, sometimes there's out and out lying as well. But they're telling you the truth as they perceived it. And usually the truth is somewhere between the two, two, two extremes that they're telling you. But this is also true in, in the scriptures at times. There's oftentimes two very opposite views on a scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, we take predestination and, and free will. Okay? Absolute predestination means that God is you know, predestined some to be hell. Absolute free will says that God has no, no say in the matter. Somewhere in between is the truth because God teaches both. He teaches predestination, that it's his will that's going to happen. He also teaches us that we have free will and it's whosoever will. 
Now, where in the center they come, I have no clue. <laughs> but because God knows everything and knows what is going to everything, understands what happened in the past, everything, we don't have to. Just right. try to be the best we can. Right. But, but this gets into all the different aspects of God. You know, why would God even love us? Why would he create man in the first place? It oh, makes no. no sense in the first place, yes. and yet he does. But this thing, who will see it, how I think of it now, when I say who will see it, and I'm thinking God will see it. Mm -hmm. God will hear it. God and that's the whole point as he gets to, is God's going to see it. This is perfect. Who will see, who will see them? God will. Yeah, and they're thinking they're getting away with it. Yeah. They think they're getting away with it, and they, you I read what you sow. You reap what you sow. Whether you believe it or not, you're going to reap what you sow. When you're tearing people down, you will, if they will keep their mouth shut and not defend themselves, you will you will receive that judgment for tearing them down upon yourself. What goes around comes around, and when it comes around, it hits you that much harder. Now, there, there's also the fact, the, the Bible teaches that elders and teachers are worthy of double honor. So if you attack a elder or a teacher that's worthy of double honor, you get a double judgment in return. But then they're always not. They're not always right. No, they can be just as bad as. But there's a way to deal with elders and teachers is to go to them individually, not behind their back, because you don't want to go behind anybody's back. Yeah. And God very clearly, and Jeremiah especially is a big book on that, God tells through Jeremiah that he will deal with false pastors. He will deal with false teachers. And in James 3.1, it says, many of you ought not to be teachers for the judgment, the condemnation is greater for those that teach. So it's a very scary thing to desire to be a teacher, to be, to be called to be a teacher, to be called to be a pastor, because God says there's greater judgment on you if you teach wrong. There's greater judgment on you to be wrong. It's one thing for somebody who's not teaching to have a wrong, wrong interpretation of the scripture, but to start teaching that wrong interpretation is bad news. Which is one of the reasons I always ask Annie, what is your scripture behind that? What is your reason behind that? And sometimes I do it to her even if it's right because I want to challenge her to think about why. Why is it true? I asked him on the way, he asked me that this morning, and I said, uh, am I wrong again? <laughs> <laughs> is that one not true either? <laughs> I do not believe in suing people. Mm -hmm. So in our Bible reading today, oh yeah, Paul was very clear about not suing, not suing individuals. Well, especially believers not suing other believers. Uh, and the way, the way the Christian church should be set up, if two believers have problems with each other, they should go to the elders of the church and let them mediate and be willing to accept a scriptural answer for the mediation. Now, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't happen very often. But I would even agree with you that I only don't think that we should be suing other people unless there's a real, a real, yeah. real, real, on purpose <laughs> violation. Not just they did something that was kind of overlooked or something, you know, like some of these medical things where they didn't or test they, it great enough. Or they uh, fell off their chair and they, you know. And they, and they hurt, hurt themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. So, but yeah, these are things, you know, go... And it says, verse 6, they search out iniquities, they accomplish a diligent search, 
Both the inward thoughts of every one of them and the heart is deep. That means they are looking for issues. They are looking to cause trouble. They are looking as deep as they can to find that? issues. See, cunning. That's why I said cunning. I said cunning. Cunning? What's cunning? Uh, that means to be deceptive, deceptive, really sharp. Uh, sharp. Not necessarily deceptive. You know, a cunning answer is one that fine tunes things without without trying to hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's ways that you can say you did something wrong, or you know, you can be able to say it. And this is what you learn as a manager, where you try to make it. You soften the blow usually. Yeah, because this one here says, "Surely the mind of a man are cunning." Cunning. Okay. I see cunning too, like a person trying to get you to do something real nice, like something real bad. They can do it very. It, it can be. It, 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 there's a trickery, and it, it's, it's got an idea of trickery, but not necessarily tricky. It's, it's you walk in that fine line, you know, between something. You're trying. Yeah, cunning is that I'm trying to get you to do what I want without directly asking you to. So I walk you down a, a path that leads you to think it was your idea. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes trying to bring people into a sin, you know, or, or activity. Uh, the whole courtship thing you now where somebody's trying to get in bed with somebody, where they try to get them out on a date, you know. and Like texting. You know, te mm -hmm. Well, texting or it could be. But they're just trying to walk this fine line where to get you into this position that you don't want to be in. If you love me, you will. Yeah, that kind yeah. of, you know, if you really loved me, you would you'd be doing this uh, type things that are going on. All right, verse seven. seven. But when you see those buts, I love I love the buts. God is draw, drawing a drawing his conclusion here. All these things have been bad. You got people attacking you. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they be wounded. God will come to our defense if we will just let him. Suddenly, and it's kind of amazing when you're going through something and suddenly God steps in. Suddenly God is there defending you. Suddenly God provides. Suddenly God, you know, takes care of what's going on. I like my mindset. Um, suddenly they will be struck down. Struck down, wounded, maimed, yeah. injured. Uh, God does things in a sudden way. And, you know, always, we in our day and age, and especially in our day and age, we want everything to have been happened Five minutes ago, Instant. you know, not 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 even not even now. God, I wanted it five ten minutes ago, and it's not here at this moment that I just thought about it. You know, uh, and we all have experienced this. You know, we used to think microwaves were really fast. Now it's like I've got to wait ninety seconds for this thing to warm up. You know, my goodness, it's going to take me ninety seconds before I can get my cup of coffee warmed up. Uh, we get our brand new computer and. and you know, and it's so fast when we first get it. And three months later, it's like, man, this thing is so slow. Yeah, and you, you know. better walk from one room to the bathroom <laughs> to get an encyclopedia, bring it in here, sit it down, look, oh, crud, wrong book, go back in the, and right because your computer took three minutes. And you've got car, people in cars and, you know, can't wait for the clear the, the the 500 feet behind you. They've got to jump in front of you, make you hit your brakes, and slow down because mm -hmm. that extra six feet or eight feet of space they deserve. Or they're waiting for the red and green light. Yeah, 
But we're, we're in a me generation. What is it for yes. me? What is it for me? I'm important. I'm the, I'm the oh, only right, one that right, matters right. in this world. And God is saying, he'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Can I share a quickie? Never mind. <laughs> Verse 8. So they, so they shall make their own tongue to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. When they're speaking, their words will come back on them. One of the greatest things you can know is if, if somebody wants to gossip with you, don't do it. You know, my answer is let's get, some, let's get that person. If they're in front of me, you can tell me anything you want if they're in front of me. Because one thing that's most important is if they're gossiping about somebody else with you, they're, they're, they're telling others about you. So they're, they're not going to treat you any better than they're treating the person they're gossiping about. And their words are going to come back upon themselves. They, they will. They will reap what they sow. And if they're gossiping about others, others are gossiping about them and tearing them down. Chain reaction. And it will happen. And it says, all that see them shall flee. Me thought about her stepmother through this whole lesson. They didn't hear the chance. I did it first. I haven't thought about her since. Uh, she keeps popping up to me, though. She's. She's. <laughs> with this, read what you just read again. That's because you're using your imagination and, and, and bouncing onto things that you heard and don't know. I can tell you things, too, about Well, I don't know anything. Right. But you. you I just know that I love her and don't want her hurt. Yeah. But see, you've already, you've already made a judgment of who she is and what she is by what you've heard, and that's not a good place to be at. Whether she, whether she is or isn't just becomes irrelevant. I needed to tell you so God could get on to me about where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shame on me. I'm going to start praying for her. Yeah. Pray, pray for her and pray for you. Know. But it says that all men shall flee away from them. When people have a reputation for being destructive to others, eventually people stay away from them. People won't tell them anything. People, unless they want to gossip with them, are not going to go around them. People who have a bad reputation eventually will be avoided. Eventually. I, I was so good. It was yesterday. I think it was yesterday this person came over and tried to be nice, but... The person wanted no information. I kept my mouth shut. I was so proud of myself. Yep. And then the result, if you're around, if you if you see these people, verse nine, and all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of His doing. When God comes against people, when God brings judgment. His judgment is not designed to destroy the person. His judgments are always designed to bring people to him. All through the book of Revelation, when we look at it and say, God, there's so much violence and so much bad going on. How can you be so mean to everybody? And there's people that will say that when they look at, the, at all the judgments of God. And God's saying, my purpose is to draw them to me. I want them to come to me. When he was sending the ten plagues to Egypt, he wasn't there trying to destroy Egypt. Now that was the result that they were destroyed. But he was trying to say, come to me, listen to me, follow me. 
And the, the more Pharaoh hardened his heart, the more judgments came upon his people. If we soften our heart, the purpose of judgment is for us to turn to God. The purpose of judgment is to get somebody's heart turned to him. The, when we, and the problem with us so many times is we pray for somebody's salvation and then we try to protect them from the bad things that happen to them as God's trying to draw him to them. And we're going, God, why are you letting so many bad things happen to them? Well, because they need something to say, you need God. Uh, you know, and we so often will do that to our own kids. You know, you know, our, we're so worried that our kids are going to get hurt because they're not following God and we want them to follow God and yet we want to protect them from being hurt. And God's probably looking at him, would you just get out of the way? <laughs> would you get out of my way so I can deal with this child that you want to come to me? And we try everything we can to protect our, child, our children so often. And I know we do it because we love them. We don't want to see them hurt. God says himself, discipline is there to bring us closer to him. Discipline teaches us that there's pain for making bad and wrong decisions. When I make a wrong decision, God's going to discipline me so that it hurts to make that bad decision. And maybe if I'm smart enough, I go, did this hurt? Don't do this. It doesn't hurt. Okay? And that is the whole purpose that God teaches us as we train our children. True discipline must have some element of pain that says, you did this, you got hurt. Now, for a young child, spankings work very good because you did this in pain. Your backside hurts. Okay, now as they get older, maybe the pain needs to change. Uh, you know, you get a teenager, especially for a woman, most women could not spank a teenager hard enough to make that teenager do anything but laugh. Okay, even some fathers couldn't spank a teenager, but take away their cell phone, <laughs> their computer privileges, the car, you know, and now say, you did this, here's your pain. Adults in the workforce, do wrong, lose job. <laughs> Lots of pain. Hopefully you've learned to be disciplined before that. But God is saying, his purpose in this is not to cause pain and make us hurt. The, the purpose is to teach us not to do it and not be hurt in the future. And this is the purpose of all God's judgment. This is our purpose. When we ask for God to do something in somebody's life or our own life, you better expect some kind of pain as God's trying to move you another direction. Pain is not bad in one sense because it teaches you that you're not doing something right and need to do something to avoid that pain. Whatever that might be, God has got that in there. And when we're praying for our children to get saved, we're praying for a friend to get saved, there better not be a surprise when something bad happens in their life because God's trying to get them into a position that says, come to me. And yet we'll look at it and say, God, you're just being so mean to this person. You're, you're, you know, all this stuff that we'll do to them. You know, God, you know, you're making life miserable for my child who I want to, I want to see him come to you, God, but quit making him miserable. Because what usually happens when you first become miserable, you blame God and you move away from him. And God sends something else into your life until you don't harden your heart and you come to him. And yet we sit there and try to comfort and direct them into something. And sometimes that pain is what they need. And... David is saying, when people see this, they consider it and they choose wisely to come to God. 
They choose to come God to God through the pain that they go through. When we learn not to do something, it's usually because we've experienced enough pain that we say, I'm God, I give up. Now, I've all shared with you, I had a six-year trial one time where I was being in pain, my family was being in pain because I was so slow at learning, and I finally just said, God, I give up. God, I give up. I've had enough pain. I've had enough pain inflicted on my family as the head of the house because of my slow learning. Hopefully, you don't take six years to learn something. I told you, I'm stubborn and I'm hard-headed. God has to pound me. When God wants to change me, he pretty much has always had to pound me over the head. You know, I've gotten better over the years. It does, I've gotten, gotten faster. But I'm still pretty stubborn. It still takes me a little while to learn a lot of things. But God is saying, I'm, I'm doing this. The pain is there to teach you to come to me. And then verse 10, And the righteous shall be glad in the Lord, and they shall trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. The uprights see it. If we're truly trusting God, we see the pain for what it is, being something that should draw you to God. When I see pain in my own life, I should be asking God, what is it that, I, what is it that I'm supposed to be learning here? Now, it could, be, it could be punishment for sin. I mean, the first thing, anytime we have something bad happen to us, the first thing we do need to look at, am I reaping what I sowed? <laughs> Okay, God, I'm reaping what I'm sowing for, you know, thank you, God. Uh, help, me, help me get through this and help me not to do it again. Am I, learn, am I supposed to learn something? Sometimes it's just to learn. And God says, this is something I want you to learn not to do. It's not necessarily sin. He just says, don't do it. I get that a lot. But pain <laughs> needs to be looked at. God, what is this pain for? What is this, what is this bad for? And when we see it in others, pray for them. When you see others in pain, pray for what they're supposed to be learning. Because they're supposed to be learning something. And if God shows it to you and, and you have the right relationship, you can try sharing it with them. It probably won't work. But you can try sharing with them. If they're, if they're teachable, they'll learn quicker. I mean, one, one of the great things is to be able to listen when somebody teaches you and not have to go through the long, hard process of trying to figure it out yourself. But God is out there saying, I want to teach you. I want you to grow. I want you to get better. I want you to, to learn. And pain sometimes is his tool, oftentimes is his tool. The greater way is to get into his word and not have to get to the pain at all because you learn it without. But most of us are pretty stubborn. Most of us have to learn the hard way, hard knocks. Uh, I used to think that I was pretty good. I learned lots of lessons in business by watching others fall into the mistakes and not making those mistakes. Too bad I haven't done that as well spiritually as I've done it in, in, in the business world. But we do want to look. We want to look at God's word and say, God, what are you protecting me from? Because his word wants to protect us. His word wants to keep us. His word will keep us from a lot of problems. Uh, Proverbs uh, 3, uh, 5, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Uh, 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yep. Uh, but God is out there. You know, how easy is it for us to trust in our own ways? They make sense to us. You know, how many times have you been stopped in your tracks by God from doing something that you really thought was going to be the right way of doing it? And then you look back and say, boy, am I glad I didn't make that decision. 
or worse yet, you did what you thought was in your, 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 your own thoughts and you feel, man, did I make a stupid decision. Uh, we find that all the time in our lives, you know, when we do things in our own ways. And I can't tell you how many times, just in the time I've been up here, where somebody has said they want to do something or have something happen, and there's just that check in my spirit that says, no, that's not going to happen. And then later on, God will show me why, why that check was there and say, if you had done this, this would have been the results, or this could have been the results, and this is why I didn't want you to do it. And we need to learn to be able to listen to God and say, does that mean every time we, our own decisions are wrong? No, but we need to be able to listen to God and apply his word, apply his thoughts, allow him to work. And he wants to work. He wants to keep us protected. He wants us to walk. And just imagine if you could walk and you make all of godly decisions all the time, how life would be so sweet. It would be so nice to be able to make the right decisions. But you know, even that would not protect us from bad things happening because you look at Jesus and Jesus did not have the easy life even though he made every decision a godly decision and made the right decision. Life was still not easy for him. There were still trials that he had to go through and, and problems that he had to deal with. So they're out there. Even if we made all the correct decisions, <laughs> There could be problems in our life because the world would hate us. Even if we made all the right decisions, the world's going to dislike us, and they're going to talk behind our back, and they're going to try to tear us down. They're going to set snares in front of us that we might even you know, end up tripping some of them, even if we're doing the right decisions. Jesus went to the cross for us. You know, Pastor, uh, when you're young, been an interesting how many times do parents go why can't you be more like your brother and they're oh, yeah. talking about Jesus you the perfect son die so this is this is the whole thing about it I mean a perfect life is still not going to be a pain free non non troubled life it's just a life that I know that God is in control of and being, that he will give me the strength to go through. And this is where we want to be so careful. Every time that there's a trouble, it's not meaning that I've done wrong. It's not meaning that I've made a bad decision. It is God coming to us and God caring for us. And it is so amazing when we really start understanding a perfect life is not, you know, living a perfect life would still not be a pain-free, no, no troubled life. Because pain is where we learn. Most of us don't learn unless there's something painful that we have to accomplish. It's the idea of mother, necessity is the mother of invention. You end up with a problem, how do I solve it? If I don't have problems in my life, I'm not going to be looking for answers in his word. I'm not going to care what's in his word because I have no problems. God throws problems at me and he teaches me this is what you need to learn. And as I learn more, he throws something else at me to learn. 
And it's not, he's not trying to hurt us, he's not trying to cause problems, but he puts enough pain in life for me to overcome the obstacle. Because if there's no obstacles, there's no learning, there's no reason to learn. And this is important for us. Learning has to be for a reason. I mean, just to learn information is not going to be enough. And God will always test what we learn. Because you don't know that you've learned it until you pass the test. As we learn about love, God's going to give us other people that are unlovable. Okay? At, at least wherever, at whatever level we're at, he's going to give us somebody who's unlovable. If he's teaching us to be patient, he's going to put us in some situation that cause, tests our patience. For me, that's just simply driving. He tests my patience all the time with all those idiots on the road. Now, I'd be just fine. If there were no drivers on the road, I'd have no problems. Uh, you know, because they're gone. But whatever it is that we're learning, God is going to test. And remember, I've said it over and over, the, the, the level of the test will be how much do we learn it. Okay? We've learned to love people. And God says, okay, you've learned to love at a kindergarten love level. You, you can deal with these okay people. I'm going to give you somebody that's harder to love. Can you pass the new test? We pass that test, and he's going, oh, you did a good job with that person. Let me give you this other person who's hard to love. So don't think you're ever going to get past the test because they're always going to be out there. Now, in one sense, though, the test still gets easier. Because if you threw that, if you threw the person at you that you're now being asked to love at the beginning, you'd have, <laughs> you'd have gone, no way, God, I can't, I never love that person. <laughs> but he brings these people into our lives and says, here's this next person. And if you'd have dealt with them three or four years ago when you first were starting the test, you'd go, there is no way I've ever loved them. Now, this person's a challenge, but, but I think I can love them because I've already loved these that other person, ones. Yeah. I've, I've loved these other three people that seem to be hard. I think I can get. A, I think this one's going to be. And then all of a sudden, you get to a place where, you know, you're the college level. And it's like, oh, I can love anybody God throws at me, pretty much. You know, and, you know, hopefully it's not you saying that, but it's Him loving them through you. I can forgive people because that's what he's what He's taught me. I can I can overcome this sin because this is what He's taught me. I've, I've just gone so far into this, it becomes easy. And it becomes easier, just like everything else we talked about. When I first learned to walk spiritually, it's tough. Then he teaches me to run. Then he teaches me to dance. Then he teaches me to play, play a game or something. Okay? And the same thing that we do is we learn to walk in the physical. We learn to run. We learn to walk. Then we learn to run. And our parents regret that they ever taught us to walk because we're running and getting into trouble. Then we learn to dance or play football or play baseball. And when we first start those things, those, those motions and everything make no sense. And we, you know, or you learn to drive a car. You know, most of us are old enough, we probably don't remember those first days of driving a car where it's press the clutch in, release the clutch, and press the gas. And, yes, you know, and it was hard and we stalled the car out 50 times as we were learning to do it. Uh, and now, we, now you get in there and you just do it without even thinking, and no, and, and you're not you're, you're not even. <laughs> but you're but even when you're driving an automatic, you used to be able to, you're checking physically checking all the mirrors and and watching all around you. Now you're just driving down the road talking to people, and and you're doing everything. You're hopefully doing it by by unconscious thought rather than you know some people just forget to do it at all and end up in an accident. But you, but you understand what I'm saying. The spiritual walk is going to be the same way. God's going to put us in a situation where we learn to do it, and the more we do it, the easier it gets, and he takes us to the next level. We're not just walking, we're running. We're, 
know, whereas whereas Isaiah says, we learn to run, we learn to, to, to walk, we learn to run, we learn to fly. Okay, that was his, his view of it. Uh, and eventually it gets to be so simple that it's not a challenge anymore. We just do it. And God gives us another challenge to, to learn to, you know, walk and fall and walk and fall. And then we learn to run and then we learn to, you know, in each one of our aspects, that's what it's going to be in our life is that he's going to keep challenging us. He's going to keep moving us up until we, until, you know, we've learned to run or run or fly or, you know, or as I like to say, we're no longer on kindergarten. We're at the college level classes and it's just a piece of cake to us. We're teaching others how to do it. So. Just quick, Jesus didn't have scars on him until they got a hold of him that night. He didn't have scar on him because he went to the cross, the perfect, unblemished sacrifice that God originally instated. Most so likely would, true. So we would say that he never had any pain, but honestly, believe it hurt him when Judas. He walked with this man, loved that man, and knew what he was going to do, mm -hmm. and it hurt. And his brothers made fun of him, tried to get him out because they thought he was crazy, and he didn't defend himself. Not until it was over. And once they seen him on the cross, then seen him three days later, what, what was there left to say? The crown of thorns was gone. The wound was sealed up. But wasn't there another one where he cried because the lady's son or something? Oh, he cried many. He yeah, tried, cried quite a few yeah, times. So, and, yeah, that one. Mostly though, his cry, his tears were how little they understood God and, yeah. and the uh, power of God. So, but that hurt. Yeah. It was a. It wasn't a spent knee. It was a hurt heart. I mean, Quite likely, it hit his hand, hand, hand a couple of times with a hammer too. So it's. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that that you are probably right. I would never be dogmatic about that because it really is talking about his sin and his sin perfection and everything. So but the lamb was not to be blemished either, so that it's most likely that he that it is a true statement, but I would never be dogmatic about that. It'd be hard to be dogmatic about it because it his his perfection was in his spiritual and, and life perfection. So, I right, thought about that for years. How did he? Did you ever check me out? I'm a solid star. Of course, I'm a solid dog owner. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to study your word. We ask you to give us a great time as we go on. Thank you for the fellowship and around the word. In your son's name, amen. amen.